We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's go for rapid fire then, and let's just start with this one from Salty. He says, it sounds like your assessment of Rudolph has risen considerably over the last week. Do you agree? If so, in which areas and to what degree? I I don't know if I'd say it's risen. I I, I still have concerns. He still would, of the three that I looked at, probably would have been the guy that would be number three for me. Uh, What I'm trying to do is add some context to number one. This is a certainly upgrade over what Jeff Quinn was, and I mean no disrespect to him. My opinion hasn't necessarily changed. I have some clarifications on things that, that I'm having a better understanding. What I'm trying to give y'all is I could sit here and say, I hate this hire. This hire sucks. I don't like it, whatever. But I'm saying, okay, you all know my opinion. I gave it to you last week, but now let me tell you what I've been able to learn about him, and you can make your own opinion on what you think he will or won't do. And so I'm just providing context. So my opinion hasn't changed. I'm just trying to give you guys facts and share with you what I'm told from other people. So uh, I have to see it. There's some things I feel more comfortable with, but I still need to see it carry out because you can tell me whatever you want to tell me. I need to see it. I need to see it play out. And and also trying to put in some context what my concerns are. My concerns about Joe Rudolph are, are comparing him to Harry Eastand. Right. And that's like from my perspective, and, and I completely agree with, with what you're saying. I, I think I kind of said a, a little bit of the same thing last week harry he you, you know you went from you went from jeff quinn and again you know the, anytime we assess a, a coach we're talking about his coaching we're not talking right. about a coach as a person you know because he's quinn, a great guy jeff yeah, quinn is a guy. very good that, decent yeah. man he just was not right. a very good offensive line coach right and then you have arguably you know the best if not or just one of the best off- college offensive line coaches Ever. So the bar is going to be very high. So no matter who you hire, odds are there's going to be at least some drop. But I agree with what you're saying. The question is not, will there be a drop-off? Because there there is likely to be a drop-off. The question is, how far is the drop-off? Just, right. just how much, you know, to me, how, how much of a technician is Joe Rudolph compared to Harry Heastan as a technician of the Correct. offense? Now that I actually have been told is one of the things they liked most about him is that okay is he is a a teacher like that was one of the first he is a he is a teacher he is a technician because here's the thing they didn't spend a lot of time in the interview from what i understand talking scheme 
because we know what your scheme is. We've seen the film. This is what we do, you know, but it was more about what's your, what's your coaching philosophy? What's your teaching philosophy? What are your, what are your, you know, your most, like my wife does this thing, right? For every day she starts like her, what her day is going to be for her business the next day. And she has these things, she calls them MITs, most important tasks. And that's something that you, when you're talking to a position coach, I don't necessarily care. We're going to talk scheme and talk ball because I want to pick your mind. I want to see how your brain processes things. But the most important thing to me is I know what offense I'm running. I need to know if you can teach it. Right. And that comes down to, yeah, I need to know the scheme, but it comes down to what is your plan of attack? How do you teach? What do you, what are your, what is your focus on the off season? What does your practice plan look like? What are the things that you focus on? Sometimes you'll throw uh, trick questions at them. Like I was talking to somebody the other day and I was trying to gauge their football knowledge. And so, you know, I asked them leading questions into leading them into the answer I didn't want to hear. So I wanted to see, is he just going to tell me what I want to know? Or is he going to be like, no. And the, the person I was talking to was like, no, that's not really what I think. This is what I think is right. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's good. So you'll <laughs> do that during the process, but it's about learning their, what they, how they teach. And that's been something that I've been told has been a, a, a one of the things that really mo- more than anything else impressed the staff was that is this guy can teach this, the, the fundamentals of technique. And when you're replacing Harry, he stands, Sean, you have to hire a guy like that. Right now. Can right. he teach it the way Harry did? I have no clue. Right. But I do believe it'll be much more of an emphasis than it was the several years before coach. East yeah. got back. And, and, and I think that's the thing that- too, Sean, he's building on a different foundation than what Harry, he built on. Harry mm-hmm. Heastan had to overcome the Jeff Quinn era. Now Joe Rudolph is, your job is don't F it up, right? Exactly. Like keep building on what he started, which is a completely different task than what Coach Heastan had to go through last year, which is this right. is broken. You got to fix it. Then you got to make it great. So that, that's a part of it too. Agreed. Super chat. Thanks to Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Rudolph, notorious for his year one lines at a new school being terrible. Wisconsin, Virginia Tech, the most recent. Any concerns this continues at Notre Dame? I'm not concerned about that. I mean, that's a great thing to look at. I think that's important. But you also have to look at what, what, what were different. So, for example, his first year at Wisconsin, they went from having Melvin Gordon and Corey Clement. Now, Melvin Gordon in 2014, and this is the this is with Andy Ludwig as the as the offense coordinator. I believe the offensive line coach, I believe, was Bob Bostad. I believe. No, actually, it was not. I don't. I can't remember who the offensive line coach, but Ludwig was the OC. Not only did Melvin Gordon run for 250 2,587 yards on, and I'm not recalling that. I'm actually looking at it just so people want. <laughs> but their number two back was Corey Clement, who had 949 yards that year. Well, the next year, Corey. So so Melvin Gordon went pro. And then Corey Clement got hurt early in the season that next year. So he was out. And so now all of a sudden you're down to Dare Owungo. I'm sorry. Agumba Wale. Agumba Wale (laughs) and Taiwan Deal, who are like number three, number four backs. And so then the next year, year two, Corey Clement comes back to good health and he rushes for 1,300 yards. So, you know, the circumstances are different. You know, at Pitt, they weren't very good his first year at Pitt but he inherited a pretty bad offensive situation to begin with and didn't make it a whole lot better till year three. Yeah. And then of Virginia tech, they just were terrible. I mean, Virginia tech. Well, just that's what I was going to say. Just, just knowing what I, we know about Virginia tech yeah. the last couple of years, he did not have much to work with no. there. I mean, we, we saw no. that pretty up close and personal. So, uh, yeah. it, it, you know, and cause I saw somebody in the chat saying earlier, well, people at Virginia tech are saying they're glad to see him go. Okay. Well, 
how uh, just John, that's long. never a good thing to say because if you want to go there, right? Tennessee fans said the same thing about Harry Heastan his last year at Tennessee. Sean, right. do you know how many yards Tennessee rushed for in, in Harry Heastan's last year there? Do you know how many yards they rushed for? Uh, off the top of my I'll, I'll say 4.2. Uh oh, 2.8. Jimmy yards per game they rushed for that year. Man. Take a guess at it. This is Harry Heastan as the offensive line coach. Well, if it was 2.8, I'll, I'll say 75. 90, 90.1. 90, okay. Yeah, 90.1. Uh, thanks to them rushing for a buck 28 against Montana and a buck 99 against Buffalo. Thanks to that. Okay. But yeah, that was with Harry Heastan and Tennessee fans were like, he's terrible. He can't. Sometimes I don't care who the offensive line coach is. If your head coach stinks, your coordinator stinks, and your talent stinks, you're not going to be any good, yeah. right? And that's that's the thing. Now, the, what Harry Heastan was walking into at Notre Dame last year was he was not only a great coach, and this is true when he when he took over in 20, 2012 at Notre Dame, he went from the talent, talent Tennessee had to, he walked into a room that had Zach Martin, Chris Watt, Braxton Cave, Christian Lombard, guys like that. This past year, he walked into a room that had – you know, Jarrett Patterson, Billy Shrout, I mean, not Billy Shrout, excuse me, Zeke Correll, Joe Walt, Blake Fisher, Josh Lug. So, I mean, that that's a big part of it, too. So, I, I, I don't really care what Virginia Tech fans think. I, I don't, because we've seen this before. Now, Ohio State fans didn't like Al Washington, and so far, they, they've been kind of proven right. But fans don't like most coaches that leave, right? But Harry Heastan was a guy that Tennessee fans thought stunk. They rushed for 90 yards a game and 2.8 yards per carry. And I'd say Harry Heastan worked out pretty well at yeah. Notre Dame. I'd say I concur. Pretty, pretty good, right? Pretty good. I concur. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Adam wants to know, with your concerns, what would you need to see from the offensive line next year to make you feel good? He says better about the hire. I think you feel at least better as of right now. So what would you need to see from these from the line this next season to feel good about it? It's not that I necessarily feel better about it. My concerns are what they are. It's people that I respect and that I know 
feel really good about it. So I'm willing to trust them and say, okay, cool. I'm going to give you the benefit of doubt. I'm going to have an open mind and I'm not going to crush the guy for the next seven months until we get to the season. It really comes down to three things, Sean, that I need to see. I need to see a unit that is fundamentally sound, a unit that plays physical football and a unit that plays consistently. And that's what I need to see because that's what the expectations were with coach Eastan, right? The first two, we knew we're going we're there this past year, right? We knew they were fundamentally sound. We knew they were physical. Consistency wasn't consistency wasn't there yet for a, a host of reasons, mm-hmm. a lot of which had nothing to do with the offensive line. But look, you rush for 286 or whatever against Clemson, and the next week you go out and you don't even get to 100 against Navy. Right. There was there was that they were either really good or not really good running the football. So there was a level of consistency that wasn't always there, which you kind of expect in the in year one. Now you're building on top of that. So it's just about fundamentally sound, physical, and be consistent. I think those are things that I look for uh, in that run game and pass game. So I think those are the things I'm going to see. And if we see that, then I'm going to feel good about it. And and look, he's going to get tested in game one. I mean, if they can come out there and be ready to handle Navy, you're like, okay. Because Navy's going to have one of the most complex pressure packages that Notre Dame is going to face all year. We just we just saw that this November, Sean. I mean, we, yeah. we just saw that. And Brian Newberry, the defensive coordinator at Navy last year, is the head coach there now. So it's not like they're doing a new defense. So I think that and then NC State two weeks later, if he can handle – because Tony Gibson and Brian Newberry, I would say, are probably the two coaches on the defense. Uh, I would say that Jim Jim Knowles is probably third as far as the complexity of looks and pressures – because a lot, uh, NC State and, and Navy are three-man teams. One of the advantages we've talked about as being a three-man defense is you can bring a lot more different pressure packages because you're bringing guy more guys from the second level, and I think that's what makes it a little bit challenging. So you're going to get th- two games in your first three against coaches that are guys that I respect for what they do with pressure packages. That to me is going to be the biggest thing. Is if he can handle that and his line can handle that, that's going to be a great sign for me when you get into this, the, the nitty gritty of expectations beyond just the basics of fundamentals, toughness, and consistency is if he handles the pressure packages against those two teams early, then I'm going to feel a lot better about it because against the Clemsons and the USC's, it's more about just man to man, my guys versus your guys. It's not as much of the complexity. And so those are things that I'm, that I'm looking forward to seeing. If you can do that, then I'll feel really good about it. And I'll know that the guys that I trust are right. And my initial impression is not. Correct. I just feel I feel good for a couple of reasons. One, he's coming into a, a better situation. He's coming into into about as good a situation as as we mentioned before as just about anyone coming into a first year situation could hope to have. Like we were talking about Virginia Tech and Wisconsin in his first years there, he is in an infinitely better situation coming into what he has with what he has coming back on the offensive line with even whoever the newcomers you know, or, or the new starters are going to be on the line are going to have more experience than in a lot of cases that he's probably had before in some of those first-time situations, plus the running backs, plus the quarterback. Let me, let me ask you this because I just thought about this. The fact that he has the offensive coordinator experience and a pretty good amount of offensive coordinator experience – coupled with the fact that you have a fairly raw, like this is going to be your most experienced coach on the offensive side of the ball. You have a guy like Jared Parker, who's, you know, for for the most part, this is going, this is going to be not even for the most part, this is going to be his first 
full offense because we've talked about the you know the background at West Virginia. How much do you think that helps to have some you know somebody with with the coordinator experience coupled with with Jared Parker? Well, and Gino Gadulli was also the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati last That's year, right. and we've heard from a lot of different sources that he was a pr- play caller for a chunk of the games in 2021 as well. There, they went to the playoffs, so I think it's a positive. I do because I think you know maybe you could say, well, none of those guys are by themselves proven great offensive coordinators. I, I would definitely not hire Joe Rudolph as the offensive coordinator. Like if he was going to be the offensive coordinator, we'd be having a much different conversation right now, right? right? And and so it's like, well, he doesn't have to be. I think what he can do is be sort of a a someone you trust. Hey, you're gonna have you're gonna have some thought. You're gonna have some uh, responsibilities here. I, I need to trust that you can handle this. There's gonna be that for Jared Parker, where like you feel like, hey, this is a veteran guy. Coach Freeman trusts him and knows him. He's known him for a long time. He believes in him. He's gone to battle against him, and he still you know because again, Notre Dame shut Wisconsin's run game down last year, completely shut it down. Well, mm-hmm. Marcus Freeman still feels like this guy's really good at what he does. He must have a reason why. Like, hey, we just whooped their guys up front. There was nothing they could do about it. I don't care who the old line coach was, right? And and so uh, you know, it's it, having a guy like that that you can lean on, a guy that you can look at and say, hey, from a preparation standpoint. You know, what am I missing? What am I forgetting? What should we be doing? What are we focusing on? What what can we do? What are some changes we can make? Because he wasn't really a primary play caller as the OC. But I've said before, Sean, that play calling is probably like fourth or fifth on my list of most important responsibilities for an offensive coordinator. Because if you're not doing all those other things, you know, can you put an offseason plan together? Can you put a a fall camp plan together? Can you put practices together to make sure that by the time you get to Saturday, your players are ready to execute at a high level with great intensity and great focus? If you do that and you're just an okay play play caller, but you can, you've got talent, you can do that, and your offense is going to be really good. If you're a great play caller, but you don't teach kids how to play the game, then you're going to struggle. Exhibits A, B, and C is 2007, 8, and 9 Notre Dame. Right where the 0506 teams had already had the fundamentals installed by the previous coaching staff, and then Charlie came up with the scheme, and they were lights out. Well, then by 07 to 09, now all of a sudden it's all of Charlie's recruits who were never taught the basic fundamentals of how to play. It was just mm-hmm. scheme, 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 and they stunk with arguably better individual talent. Because with all right. due respect to Raymond McKnight and Jeff Samarja, they aren't Golden Tate and Michael Floyd. Right. And, you know, so what was different? Well, those kids knew how to play the game and this group didn't. And so to me, I think those are important tasks and that's something that you can lean on for him. I think the play calling it at Wisconsin was mediocre at best. They didn't recruit really well at the skill positions that got worse. And I think those are things that hurt them a little bit. So, you know, for me, when I look at it, Sean, it's I think he can help Jared Parker with that off the whole year-end thing how what should our approach be going into spring ball what should be the do's and don'ts and the focus on spring ball what's our summer plan what's our fall camp plan how do we how do we put together a practice plan for august and september well this year it's august because they have a game in august where we're getting the most out of our kids but we're not getting to that we're they're not getting their peak too soon they're not getting to their peak too late we're not we're not killing their legs to where by the time we get to navy it's like they're just done so those are all parts of, of of offensive coordinator preparation that you need to be great at to have a great offense. And I think though that's where having Gino with his ideas and having, you know, uh, Joe Rudolph with his ideas, plus Jared will have his ideas, and Dela McCullough's with his background with Andy Reid and the different places he's been will have his ideas, even though he doesn't have coordinator stuck to his name. You know, those are all things that you'll be able to look at and say, okay, we feel like we have a good plan. We've got different 
inputs from different people. And now I'm going to bring it all together and say, this is what we're doing. And I think those are the things where you can, if you're Jared Parker, you're going to feel a lot better knowing that the, what's the expression, Sean, you don't know what you don't know until you, you, you find out you don't know it. Right. You get it right. until you get to that point. Well, these guys having that experience, they've been through that. They, they know, Hey, I didn't think about this going into my first year and we got bit in the butt like second week of August. You know what I mean? Well, I can help you with that. Let's make sure we have a plan for that. Let's make sure we we've thought about this. And I think those yeah. where those things can help you a ton more, much yeah. more so than play calling and things like that. Well, yeah. And that's play calling was, was the least, you know, it was all basically the stuff that you talked about, the details, all those, all those other things that, you know, that maybe a lot of people don't necessarily think of. All right. Fill in the blank. Notre Dame's off season of coaching searches has been blank. Strange. It's been very strange. I just think you know, there's there's way too many leaks coming out and and very premature leaks and things that kind of make you look bad. And it just has made them look very disorganized and just not on the same page all the time. And and then that leads to the fiasco with Andy Ludwig. And it's just been a strange, strange deal. You know, you have the Colin Klein thing and then the Andy Ludwig thing and then you know, the, 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 the botch Jared Parker rollout where you kind of take the shine away from what I thought was a, a really impressive press conference from him, because now all we want to talk about is what Marcus Freeman said at the beginning, which was basically in my opinion. And again, I'm just giving you my opinion was him taking marching orders from Jack. Cause Jack sent Marcus out to do his dirty work instead of manning up and doing it himself. But you know, that's a different conversation for a different day. It's just, you know what it is, Sean, it's 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 a lot of stuff we've seen in the past. Notre Dame's biggest problem for a long time has been unforced errors, and and that continues itself. Yes, problem and that continues to be a problem, right? Like now, I get like part of it is sometimes you can't always control things, right? So like Notre Dame and asked me, Sean, you knew this weeks before Sam Hartman. Uh, well, not yeah, I mean like the portal date opened and all that, but like well before he announced he's coming to Notre Dame. We were told that, but we said, Hey, look, let's keep that between us. They don't want this out there. Well, they can control us to a degree. Cause so why don't you say it anyway? Cause otherwise we lose the source, but right. they can't, we can't, they can't control the wake Forest side. And I think right. that's where Notre Dame is going to have to learn. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that's where this stuff with Joe Rudolph is coming from. And that's where a lot right. of the Andy Ludwig stuff was coming from was the other side. And that's something that I think with Coach Freeman that he's going to learn and he needs to surround himself with people that are better at this to say, hey, look, this is going to get out. We may not want it to get out that Matt Luke is coming, but we need to control the narrative. So let's talk to Driscoll. Let's talk to Priester. Let's talk to them and say, hey, look, here's who we're having come in. If you could just, I'll let you know when we can go with it, but just make sure we're clear that this is where we're at. Because what happens is, is they bring these guys in. It comes across very much that he's the guy and it's only him. And then he says, no. And now the perception is you got your number three offensive coordinator. You got your number three offensive line. Well, not really, you know I mean? With the offensive line coach, but you, neither coach that they hired was the number one guy. Right. That's the perception, but that's often what happens in these coaching searches. And that's why they need to do a better job of controlling the narrative instead of letting other side and other people control the narrative. And then we, we, it looks like it's an, a disorganized mess where in reality, 
Coach Freeman had a plan. He stuck to the plan. Coaches said no, and he moved right on to the next thing, and he had a plan. But it doesn't look like that because of the manner in which they've handled the process. Yeah, and that's maybe it's due in part to the fact that you do have a, a still relatively inexperienced head coach, and you know, he's still learning that aspect of it as well. But it is just and been, Notre Dame has a lot of people that like. Well, and that's 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 very true too. There, you know the the yeah, it's like you know trying to plug the the holes in the dam, you know, like the, the it keeps coming out someplace. That's that's for sure. It gets out all over the place. It's just been the weirdest these pro, like it, I've never seen so much of this stuff coming out like you're you're talking about from so many different directions as we have had in the last month with just this handful of searches like the uh the uh Jaguli thing was like the quickest thing you know it's like it happened it's a done deal it's going to happen and you know now it's kind of faded to the back burner that you know that was right. over and done with quick but yeah. between Ludwig and now this and the Ludwig thing and again, just the reverse process that all this stuff with Joe Rudolph is coming out really concerns me now that, that you know, like you've got the Virginia Tech head coach wishing his offensive line coach well and, you know, saying specifically Notre Dame in his tweet when he hasn't even made it to town yet for this interview. It, it really concerns me that, like, if this thing blows up, I mean, just the, the egg on the face afterwards right. at this point. I don't, I don't know how you overcome that. What well, win? That's the overcome it, right? I like, guess that's it. What, what off like what we're not talking about is like, well, this is just I think people say, well, no, Notre Dame's not an attractive job for people, blah blah. And I'm like, how is them going to their number three candidate on offensive coordinator any different than what happened with Alabama this year? Right. That's exactly what Alabama did, right? They right. missed out on at least one or two guys, one for sure, before they went to Tommy Reese. Now, does that mean that Nick Saban got some bum coach? Well, it depends on what your opinion of it, Tommy Reese is. I don't think that they got a bum coach. I, you know my stance on Tommy Reese. So it's like, this is not an abnormal thing, but the way that the process was carried out from a information getting out, I think that was the thing that, that made it look much worse than it is and has created a perception problem when in reality, if, if you talk to anyone that knows Marcus Freeman – He's very excited about these hires and not in a, well, I got to be excited because that's all I can do. But like, he kind of felt like, yeah, we may, sh I'm going to shoot for a big fish, but I got no problem putting Jared Parker in position. I, you know, yeah, I'm going to shoot for a big fish and Matt Luke, but I've known Joe Rudolph a long time. He's going to absolutely be a top candidate for me. Well, now the perception is you had to settle on guys when in reality, if you would have maybe controlled the message a little bit more, people might be a little bit more fired up about it. So, I mean, that that's, that's kind of the thing is, and I don't know if it's necessarily him as much as, as much as it's, there's just a lot of people that like to run with stuff and, and, and maybe not always having the best plan of, okay, how do we get this out? How do we stay ahead of the, and that's something Brian Kelly was really good at. He, cause he could put, he was a politician. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's who Brian Kelly was. He was the one thing he was good at is staying ahead of the narrative. And to the point where it's like, it'd make you and I infuriating, infuriated, but to the, to the masses, it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is what's going on. This is what the coach said, where what happened with the Ludwig thing is it wasn't until like a week later that they came out with, well, no, no, this is what really happened. It's like, well, you guys, the, the, the narrative dominated you. Right. And, and that's something that they're going to have to get better at. And that's, that's not just a head coach thing. I mean, that, it is partly him, but it's like, you got to have people around you helping you with that process. Yeah. I agree. And that would be my thing. 
this is a little bit of a follow-up to this. TJ asking, after the last few weeks in the whirlwind we went through, is this the kind of hire, the offensive line hire, that can make Notre Dame fans optimistic again about next year? What do you think about that? Well, it depends on what your opinion of Joe Rudolph is, right? If, if you're someone who looks at what he did at Wisconsin and with James Connors last year at Pitt, you're like, you know what? Like, this guy – this guy got some pretty good offensive offensive run game production and had some pretty good offensive lines and you know was a part of a couple you know teams that played in the Big Ten championship game. He's coached in the Rose Bowl. He's you know he's had a lot of success. Boy, this this guy's done some really good things, and you know you're gonna be excited about it if you're someone who you know maybe isn't as fired up about him like I am. Maybe you weren't, but you know the, the, this guy's coached on two as he's been the offensive line coach on two top ten teams in the last was it. 10, less than 10 years since 2015 he's coaching the cotton bowl the orange bowl the rose bowl and and won two of those three games right i mean joe rudolph has has two more new year six bowl game wins as an offensive line coach offensive coordinator than notre dame has had since 1994 two more and his total is two right so i mean there's some i could spin this really super positively if i wanted to sean and make it seem like they just hired the next you know, incantation of Harry Heastan, if I just wanted to throw numbers at you and talk about all that stuff, I'm trying to give an objective view of what I like and what I don't like, but this is a good offensive line coach. Is he going to be elite? I don't know. This is a good offensive line coach. And there was, there was no hire that they were going to make. that was going to be a bad hire. Everyone they're going to bring is going to be better than what they had before Harry Heastan came back. And so I think that should give you some excitement, but the bigger thing too, Sean is it's just over with now. And so now we get back to focusing on the part that you should be excited about, which is whoever coaches the offensive line, he's going to have some dudes, right? I mean, that's the thing. We can get back to focusing on the talent because that's the thing I'm excited about is whatever you think of Jared Parker, Joe Rudolph, they're being handed, in my opinion, a Ferrari. And it's like, don't wreck it. You you know what I mean? And, And that's the exciting thing is if you have any faith in these guys at all, you're going to feel good because they're walking into pretty good situations. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. I, and, and I, and the thing that I, I mean, that I, they're not, the, if you talk to Marcus Freeman, I guarantee you we talked to Marcus Freeman. He's not saying, Hey, well, I don't expect the offensive line to be great now or the offensive team to be great now. Cause I had to go for my number three OC or my number two O line coach. So he's like, no, we got some dudes here and we got some coaches that I believe in here who I've known for a long time. Let's roll. Because the one thing I did right after the Ludwig fiasco before Jared Park was hired, is Marcus Freeman, he's surround himself with people he knows and trusts. That's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. He's known Gino for a while. He's known Jared for a while. And he's known Joe Rudolph for a while. And he hired people that he believes in. He trusts. It may not work. We'll find out. But, but, but I mean, that's ultimately like you talk about controlling the narrative and all that. That's ultimately how you start doing that. You've, that's you've a great got point. your guys around you. It's a great point. It's a great you know? point. They're going to have his back. Yeah. talking to sources, doing whatever. That's a great point, Sean. That That's a great point. And that's why we may not like these. And there you go. This is, <laughs> this is why I pay you the big bucks, baby. Right. We may not be, they may not be hires that excite people. But as I said before, one of the least exciting hires that Brian Kelly made in his tenure was bringing in Harry Heastan. Yeah. Can you think of a coach that he hired that had a greater impact on this program the last 10 years than Harry Heastan did? No, I mean, literally when you look at, the assistant coaches who have come and got, you know, other than, you know, you know, I guess you could argue Clark Lee and Marcus Freeman would be, and maybe even Elko to an extent, those three guys, but other like those three and Harry, he are it. But like, to the some degree total of, like, where what Harry built was, there was nobody better in the country at. Oh this. yeah. True. 
True. Right. That's what I'm saying. And like, and, and like we're now they're O-line you and all these other type of things. That's on Harry. Cause they, no one was calling them O-line you when, you know, when John Latina and Frank Verducci yeah. and Ed Warner were the O-line coaches. Right. Uh, that didn't happen. I mean, they might've been, they were, they, people thought that when Joe Moore was here and people thought that when Harry Heesan was here and that's yeah. what, that's what I mean. And so that was not a hire that excited the masses because of what Tennessee people thought because of how, unsuccessful they were his previous year what i'm saying is i don't know if joe rudolph's going to be a great hire but it's not a bad hire right and and but the, but the more important thing is if you're a fan who who believes in marcus freeman and forget what brian driscoll thinks and what sean styers thinks if you are someone who believes in marcus freeman and think that he's cut out for this then you need to understand one thing he just hired three guys that he has at the at utmost faith in. Now, maybe there was a guy that he had in front of that guy from an experience standpoint or a name recognition standpoint or whatever the case may be. I'm not saying these are his number one guys. But when the whole thing went down after the Ludwig situation, I think he kind of changed course and said, nope, I'm bringing in guys that I believe in and that I trust. It may not work out. But if you believe in Marcus Freeman, you have to understand these aren't just some dude where he hired Joe Rudolph because of the Wisconsin success. He hired Joe Rudolph because he's known Joe Rudolph since he was a freshman in college and believes in Joe Rudolph and his coach against Joe Rudolph. He brought in Gino because he has seen Gino Gadouli every single day in practice for several years at Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with Jared Parker. So he surrounded himself, to your point, with people that he knows and he trusts. If you trust him, then going back to that earlier question, that's where your excitement should come from. I trust Coach Freeman, and he hired people that he trusts, so I'm going to just have some cautious optimism and be excited about it until I have reason not to be. But the other that's side the of it, too, I... because, again, you know, like in a, a lot of people want to say, oh, he's just hiring his buddies and all that kind of stuff. It's it's one thing. It's You're not just like you want the echo chamber to be your assistants are – echoing your message to the team and they're following through with your message to the team but at the same time because of the longer deeper relationships he has with these guys i think that these are also guys they're not going to you know assistants you, you you never want them to to be challenging the head coach in front of the team obviously but in in meeting rooms and such and in, and in private i i think that you can have some faith that you know maybe they're challenging each other to an extent, on certain things. And that was the issue under Brian Kelly. Brian right. Kelly hired guys who were his buddies. Right. That they could just tell what to do, and they were right. not going to challenge him. He was never going to have to worry about being challenged. No, right. never. And that's not what these guys are. And that's why it's only it's a very small sample size. We only have one year. But think about who Brian, who Marcus Freeman's buddies were, right? Who were the coaches he had a previous relationship with? Brian Mason, Mike Mickens, Jared Parker, they all did pretty dang good last year as position coaches. Right. Right. I mean, so it's a little bit of a, now Al Washington did not. Okay. He worked with Al Washington for a year that so far that hires not panned out, but that's a pretty good success record. When you, you say you're still to, like seven fifty, right. Something. Where you compare it to Brian Kelly, who was at best 50, 50. Right. And he had the good ones. Like Mike Dembrock was a good hire. Mike Elson was a good hire. And then that's countered by the, the Brian Van Gorders, you know, Bob Diaco was a good hire. Tim Hinton was not Charlie Molnar was not. Uh, those, you know, he he had those type of hires. Brian Van Gorder was an absolute disaster. Paul Longo was an absolute disaster. Fun fact: you know? Jesse Jesse dated Charlie Molnar's daughter for a month or two. Oh back my in goodness! The day. <laughs> One of his forty-three kids that he has. So ask him about that yeah. at some point. I will definitely do that. That's for darn sure. 
Yeah. So, so again, he's had success with guys Breeze bringing in that he's known. And, and so, yes, there's some coaches he brought in who he didn't know that he had success with, but it's like, if you're, if you're trying to build your culture and maybe some guys that weren't always on board with that last year on and off the field, then you need to surround yourself with as many people that are going to be on board on that as you can, as long as, and this is going to be the key, as long as you're also bringing in people who are going to be able to tell you, um, uh, Hey, look, I don't agree with you here. Like if you don't have someone like that, Sean, um, like you and I've had conversations about directions. I think the show should go and you don't just say, okay, whatever you say, boss, you don't say, no, you'll no, I don't think that's, I think, and that's what you need. I mean, right. Cause otherwise if you're just doing what I tell you to do, what if I have a bad idea? What if I'm doing something that you know is not going to work? <laughs> well, it's not going to work, but I'm not telling him because he's the no. You say no, dude. I think we need to go this direction, and we talk it out, and then we come to a conclusion that we have thought through and talked through, made points, and then hey, let's roll with right. this. Right, and that's how it needs to. And be. that's exactly the kind of stuff we're talking about. Like, yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's not just because you're buddies. It's also because you trust them to give right for them to give their real opinion right. on things. Right. Yep. Exactly. All right. Let's let's change topic. A little bit. We had an exciting basketball game yesterday. Fill in the blank. Notre Dame women's basketball team's win over Louisville was blank. Gritty. That's 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 the word I could use. Is and not the new word for gritty, like the weird dance, but like old school <laughs> gritty. Like you lose your star point guard. You're playing a team on the road that until you had beat them early this year in at home on an overtime buzzer beater. They had dominated you the th- previous four years. Like, what was the game like? What didn't they lose like like fifty to Louisville a few years ago? Like Niall's first year or Muffet's last year? Was like, I mean, last year the two losses were by a combined fifty some points. I think. I mean, and yeah, it's I think a couple years. Yeah, a couple oh, years man, ago, it was it, bad. It was, yes, and now you've now beat them at their place on Senior Day, where Sean supposedly they don't lose at home and they don't lose on Senior Day, uh, supposedly, <laughs> right? Right. So, and and you lose your star point guard. You end up going down nine at one point in time with her out, and then you come back on the road with the ACC title on the line, and you grind out that win. And you did it not because your shot started falling, because you got down and dirty and defended for two quarters. That's why I thought it was just gritty. And like to me, that's that's what you need to do to make a run, Sean. Because if you're just shooters. And you get cold, you're knocked out. This is what's killed Mike Bray's basketball teams in the NCAA tournament for years. They'd get to the tournament and they they could shoot all year, and then they get to the tournament and they play West Virginia that one year. He's got these really long, athletic guys. They defend them like crazy, and they couldn't knock shit down shots, and they have no chance to win because they couldn't. Defense defend. has to carry you sometimes, right? That's and right. so that's that to me. That showed me something though. Cass Prosper's coming into her role nicely. KK Branford's coming into her role nicely. Sonia, when she says, Oh, I don't have Olivia, I don't have Dara, I got to take this thing over. And you realize, like, you know, she could take games over, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's going to help them. And that's what's crazy is like watching Sonia and KK, neither one of them had been pushed into that role this year because you had Olivia all the time. And then they kind of traded them off. They they each got to run it. And you you saw some of those Olivia type things from both of them. Mm-hmm. In, in that fourth quarter, especially in like, you know, the, there's that whole, you know, football teams have been doing this, holding up the four fingers in the fourth quarter and all that stuff for years. It's like this team went both games against Louisville. It was defense that took over in the fourth quarter and propelled them to the, you know, the, the first time it had to get them to overtime. This time it obviously took over the game, took, took Van Lith out of the game. And as someone who was there, 
courtside, one of the most enjoyable things to me when the Louisville players before the game, because you were talking about, oh, we don't lose on senior day. We don't lose to Notre Dame. We don't lose on our home court. All these different things. They came out of the locker room and they were talking trash from the get-go. Like during warmups, they came out as a group and they were yelling dead man walking to Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame was going to be a dead man walking on their court before the game ever started yesterday. And, you know, that pivotal, you know, like it started to swing a little bit in the second quarter, especially after Olivia went out. They were down by 10. They were down by nine at halftime. But like I the, the first thing I thought of, and, and nobody would have gotten this reference yesterday, but you know, Jason Kelsey, the Philadelphia Eagles center, I still remember after the as much as I can't stand the Eagles, but after they won their Super Bowl. A few years back, he was up there at the parade, and he was saying, it's the whole damn team. And that's what it was yesterday. It was just one of the more enjoyable games that I've got to see in a long time. And it, it was just because, you know, seeing players step up like that and the defense they played, that that was just awesome to see. Yeah. I, I was, it was, And this team's been fun to watch because they're not a – they're not that championship team that was all vets and just – Everybody knew their role, and and you had a bunch of future first round. I mean, this is still a pretty young team, in a lot of ways, and they're really coming to their own. and And they've had to win without Lauren Ebo. They've had to try to win with now without Olivia, and they're they're getting it done. But the Louisville stuff was just so weird. Like that, that's just like it just strikes me as like such soft, soft, uh, uh, false bravado. You got to convince yourself yeah. that you're good, well, and you you know, you better back it up. I mean. Jeff Walls is, has showed he's a good head coach. He's taken yeah. him to the Final Four. But there's a lot of bravado that comes out of Jeff Walls as well. And that's where a lot of that comes from. And, you know, like if you're going to be Haley Van Lith, you sure better do something more than throw up an air ball when the game's on the line <laughs> at the end of the game. If you're going to talk like that, you know, yeah. with a microphone and a camera in front of you yeah. beforehand. You, you better have the game of your career when you're going to run that much and you're going to say, you know, they had the, what was it she said? It was the the controversial, you know, uh, game winner type of thing. It's like you better do better than six for 21 shooting if you're going to do that, right? And that's what she was on Sunday. So, yeah. yeah. Larry's asking if Nat Marshall should get more minutes. And I was a little surprised. Yes, I thought she might get a little bit more yesterday. She came in in the second half. There was a, you know, she came in and there was something that happened where she was kind of confused. And I, you know, so I think something got by her. I mean, they're really, they, they really like what she's been giving them lately for whatever reason. I, I don't know if it was just because Ebo was back. It didn't translate into more minutes yesterday, but she came in at one point in the second half and she's, she's, she's a, you know, She's not a Kassan Prosper defensive type player, you know, two completely different positions, but she gives them good defense. And there was, there was a pairing. She was out there for a while. She kind of started, you know, she helped propel that defensive push in the second half when, when she was out there, I, I really like seeing what she gives them on the defensive end of the, she did put up her, an air ball of her own. Now that I kind of talked through it a little bit though, before we move back to football, can I ask you a quick bonus rapid fire? Sure. If I'd have told you before the game that Kylie Watson, Lauren Ebo, and Olivia Miles would combine for one for three made field goals, Maddie Westfeld would be held to single digits in this game. The final score would be Louisville what and Notre Dame what? Wow, I, I would have had Louisville probably winning by at least twelve. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. a great point. That's yeah. a great point. Yeah, yeah. 
And that, you know, and that's another thing, you know, Kylie Watson had 20 points against Louisville the first time they played. And, and, you know, again, she gave them some good rebounding and some of that stuff, but they were, they were also glad to have Ebo back. That was the only thing combined for five points. Yeah. That's the thing. Those two combined for five points against Louisville. The only bad thing about this game, and I, and I'm not saying this just from a Notre Dame perspective, it was so physical in the paint, you know, down low, especially in the first half, the way they were calling that, they let so much stuff slide. And then all of a sudden they started calling things that they were, you know, it's like, it, it was just a very inconsistently called yeah. game on both parts. And that's, that's got to be hard for both teams to play. Yeah. In. 50 free throws attempted yesterday between the two teams. Yeah. And that's, all right. that's nuts. Notre Dame made them earn. Notre Dame made Louisville <laughs> earn what they got at the free throw line. All right, let's get back to the football. Let's get back to the football. All right, let's do it. So the NFL Draft Combine is this week. Scale of 1 to 10, what is your interest, Brian Driscoll, in the Combine? Seven. And it's – there's number one, there's not a lot of Notre Dame guys in it, so that's part of it. Number two, I think for me, the the Combine's lost a little bit of its luster for me with some of the changes that they've made over the years, like, you know, having everybody go in one day, like do certain drills in one day – and so, so many guys opted out. They just continue to make dumb decisions that make it just not as interesting to watch. And, uh, you know, there's this is not a sexy draft for me, Sean. It's not those years where I feel like, man, there's this generational guy that I want to see what he's going to do or some freaky guy that wants to see what he's going to do. So it's not really a sexy draft for me. So I'm not super, super fired up about it. But also, too, it's just with everything going on at Notre Dame, it's hard for me to really get locked into the to the combine whole lot, but I'm really hoping the Michael Mayer has a, a big game. So that's, that's even where my seven comes from is I want to see what him and Isaiah Foskey are going to do. Yeah. See, I'd probably put mine a shade even below yours. I was wondering where you were, where you would put yours. I, I'd put mine probably around a six. It just, yeah. you know, cause like you said, they're, they're really aren't the big sexy type players that we're hearing about. One, we'll, we'll talk about one specific guy here in a minute, but it's, it's, so much gets built. It, it's just amazing that you have a whole body of work, years of film on these guys, and then you're going to place so much importance on putting a guy in some spandex and having him run some 40s and some cone drills and stuff like that. And that's, that's you know, someone, there, there are some guys who are going to come out of this combine who we're going to all of a sudden start hearing about whose names we hadn't heard before because they because showed their up. Because film. That's right. exactly right. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so... And along with it, because we've got so much going on with Notre Dame right now, my it was like the week started, and it's like, oh yeah, this is Combine week. That's that's right, you know. So I'll watch some of it, but like you, I'm mostly interested to see how a couple of these Notre Dame guys do. But otherwise, eh, not yeah, quite so like, much. Like Bryce Young's not throwing at it, and you right. know, just right. I wish they would make some changes to like I, what I would do to spice it up is I would make the forty. I'd change it to where I'd get away from the track thing because like how many players like actually run in out of a track stance right? right like none i'd get them in their football stance make linebackers take a lead step and then go have right. running backs take a lead step and then go have receivers get in their receiver stance and then go and make it more football applicable you know make your offensive lineman don't have them get in a track stance why why is a 6 7 330 pound guy getting in a freaking track stance get him in a football three point stance and have him come out that way i would love to see things like that i think that'd be a lot more fun for me and 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 make some of that stuff more football related than it is just a why is this guy running a 40 okay great cuz how many years we see it all the time Sean 
show these guys go run these fast 40 times and they can't play. Mm-hmm. And then they go up the draft boards and, oh, this guy, because the analytics say this and this says that. And it's like, but, but can he play? Right. But look, the, but he ran this enough and he did this and he, but can he play? Right. Right. And which is what it's know, supposed to be all about. Right. And I don't know what the 40 yard dash necessarily tells us they can play. I want to see a guy again. I want to see a running back do it out of his stand, out of his football stance. Make him take a handoff and do the 40 with the ball in your hand. Yeah. You know, I'd love to see stuff like that. Terry Tyler, thanks for stirring the folks up. We didn't even hit him with the hit the like button at the start. So do that if you would. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So speaking of uh, draft guys, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, who, as you said, is not going to throw. One of the biggest concerns about him is his weight, which is around 195 pounds right now. I know he's trying to get it up to like 210 is uh, is what he's shooting for. How big of a, a, a concern is that lack of weight on Bryce Young to you? It's it's a big concern. It is. It's much more of a concern than his height or lack thereof. I, I really don't care about height as much anymore. Which, by the way, according to what I saw today, is 5'10 and a half officially. Yeah. I mean, you've got Russell Wilson's 5'11. He was a really good pro for a long time. Kyler Murray's like 5'10, yeah. maybe. You know, like height to me in the shotgun based era is just not as important as it used to be. But That's you've true. got a, you're talking about a 17 game season. He can get up to 210 pounds all he wants. He's not going to play at 210. And this is the thing scouts aren't stupid. Like they know you played your whole career at 190, 195. They know you balked up for this thing. They know they're going to look at your frame and be like, "Yeah, bro, you're not going to play there. You're you're going to play here." I think that's a concern. And and honestly, it, I said earlier, like there's no generational player. That's the only reason I say that because if Bryce Young was six two two twenty, there's no conversation about who the number one quarterback in this draft is, who the number right. one overall pick is. The Bears right. have monster offers from people to move up to number one because they want this generational player because he's incredibly smart. He has a phenom- he has phenomenal arm talent. He's just – you got a question. Can he, A, hold up for 17 games a year plus some? And if you're a Super Bowl team, you're going to be playing 20-plus games now. And can he do that over 10 years at that size? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Right, that's going to be the concern with Bryce Young. What's up with the with the strength program there in Alabama? You well, he's just to... <laughs> they, he's no, just not a big dude. You I know? know, it's like because that's the thing. Bama guys are pretty yoked up usually. So if you're if you're having trouble being over two hundred pounds and you're in the Bama strength program, that's like oh, you know, that may not exactly. be good. You know, I, I think you definitely want him playing over two hundred pounds if possible. I think the things that work in his favor is one, he's he's more of a pocket guy. He's 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 not you're not more of he is a pocket guy. He's he's not reliant on running around, so he's not going to take those kind of hits necessarily. It's it's mostly going to be in the pocket. And because the NFL, as we see year after year, as as we complain about these hits on quarterbacks and you know and all that, you know the late hits and the personal fouls, the NFL goes overboard on protecting. The quarterback. So from at least that standpoint, 
you know, it's it's not huge for me, but at the same time, it is a concern because he is not a big guy, and all it takes is one hit on a guy who is not that big, and and that that can alter a career. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is is that he is as you know has as much muscle as possible for the kind of hits that he's going to take. Yeah, in the NFL. and that's the other thing too, Sean is. You want to see him what he looks like physically. Okay, he may be 195, but not all 195s are built the same. Right. Right. Is he is he strong? Does he have a nice does he have broad shoulders? You know, does he have a thick core? Those type of things. And your and that's kind of part of what I was saying earlier too was I'm not as concerned about it now than I was I would have been 10 years ago when it was a much more physical league. Like there's no way he could have survived in the John Elway, Joe Montana era with the type of you remember the shot that Jim Burt uh, yeah, levered on Joe Montana in the playoffs. Well, like, if Joe you do Montana that now, you're like yeah. suspended for a year. Like, that's exactly. considered like borderline physical assault. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, you can't do that anyway. And, you know, I, I I get it and all that, but it's it's such a different game now. And but at the same time, it's still you're still going to take shots. And and the other thing too is if he's a top five pick, odds are he's going somewhere that wasn't very good at protecting the quarterback, which is partly why they they stink. You know, and so I mean, the Colts last year ranked 31st in the NFL in, in sacks allowed per game. The Bears last year ranked 29th. Let's just, for argument's sake, say that they're gonna they're gonna take them. You know, in that spot. So it's not like you're going to a place where you've got a great offensive line, and 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 that's the thing that killed D- D- Derek Carr is he just went to a place where they couldn't protect him, and he's got his brains beat in, and he that's was never the too. same guy. Yeah, and the so, higher you go, the, the, right. you know, the more likely you're not going right. into a good situation. Well, and that's kind of what's helped you. guys like Roethlisberger and Mahomes, where they were drafted by good teams that either had that one off year or mm-hmm. they traded up to get them. Whereas more often than not, these guys get drafted by teams that just aren't good. And that's, you know, it take, I mean, Peyton Manning's first year, they went, what, like 1-15, in 15, something yeah. like that? Like, they were yep. terrible. And then eventually got good, but Peyton Manning was also 6'5", 235 240 pounds right mm-hmm. and and Bryce Young is not that yeah so yeah all right this will be our last question tonight fill in the blank you're not you're not a massive NFL fan of course but the Denver Broncos are your team when you do pay attention and Russell Wilson is your quarterback and you feel blank about that <sighs> better than I better and, and, and here's why so I was very much against the Sean Payton deal because I, I don't think he's like, I think he's a good coach, but I think a little bit overrated just from this, like, you know, we're making I'm movies about him you. now and I'm in there all that you. kind of stuff. But he's a, he's a good coach. I think we'd agree he's a good coach. He's a good offensive coach. And I didn't love that they were going to have to give up multiple picks. Well, they ended up giving up a first and a second, but they got a third back. So it's like, okay, it is what it is. I don't love it. But the one thing is, is as you hear more and more about how Russell conducted himself last year, we had like his own office on the second floor and his own position coach, who was Jake Heaps for Pete's sake, who was terrible in college, right? But you start saying, boy, this guy had kind of gotten in the prima donna stage. And Denver has hired first-year coaches. It was Vance Joseph, and then it was Vic Fangio, and then Nathaniel. I think they've hired like, what, four straight first-time coaches, and they were all disasters. So you bring in a guy that has the the cachet to walk in and say, "Hey Russ, we ain't doing that anymore. You're not even the best quarterback I've ever coached." Right, bro. Hate to break it to you. You know what I mean? We're gonna do it yeah. my way. And so I feel better about it now because I don't think Russell Wilson's ever gonna be what he was five years ago with the Seahawks, but I think he can definitely be better than he was last year. 
And I think that 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 Sean Payton is the kind of guy that can force Russ to kind of let's fall in line, let's be a team leader again. And because his teammates, from what you could see, just just watching games, his teammates did not like him very much, or at least no. they didn't respect him last year. And now you see why, because of a lot of this other nonsense going off off the field and the way the coaches are baby him. Sean Payton's not going to do that, right? And so if Russ takes to that, then I I feel better about it again, and I feel like he'll be able to get back to being a good NFL quarterback. He'll never be what he was five years ago, I don't think, but he can get back to being a pretty good NFL quarterback and. There's some weapons at Denver, and they waste. I mean, their offense was so bad, and they had so many games last year they could have won if they just had an offense that had a pulse. And they got some good talent on defense. They got some good young receivers, a, a quality young line that needs a little bit of patchwork. There's some pieces there to work with if you can get Russell Wilson to be in back to just a, a, a decent percentage of what he was in his prime. Yeah, and you have a chance to be a much better team. Yeah, I mean, I know you know. Notre Dame fans aren't high on on Pete Carroll, and you can say a lot of things about Pete Carroll, but he's a good coach. Yeah. <laughs> like when you hear um, about that divide in C, it's just it's just yeah. nuts. By the way, he was USC's fourth option at best when they hired him. For all the people that want to talk Great about, point. you didn't get your number one guy. He was their Great fourth point. option at best when they hired Pete Carroll. They wanted at least three or four other coaches before they wanted Pete Carroll. So sometimes settling on a guy turns out to be a pretty good thing. So hopefully it'll be like that for Notre Dame. Yep. I think that's a good point to end on tonight. What do you think? Wishful thinking, uh, blind <laughs> optimism. I'm all about ending on that. You know what I'm optimist, Brian it. Driscoll. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, it was fun. You know, I think this is definitely our, our longest show that we well, that, did together. That's so. also my fault. So (laughs) that's all right. That's right. I'm just saying in comparison to what shows we had done before, we covered a lot of good stuff and you know, it, it, it happened at the right time because uh, all this crazy news dropping on us once again with, with Joe Rudolph apparently set to be Notre Dame's next offensive line coach. So we'll continue of course to follow it, check the boards. There'll there'll always be uh, all the latest intel up there and we had a big intel drop on recruiting today before all the uh the joe rudolph stuff went off so yeah if you're uh, not a member of the board very long kind of where things stand kind of deal on uh on notre dame recruiting including a little update on uh, cj Carr that i think people would uh, be interested to find out apparently nathan had a super chat it must have gotten by me um nathan hit us with the question if you would okay Oh man, I didn't somehow that did get by me. I know why, what, because you saw it? BBG and just wanted to block it out of your <laughs> yeah, mind and not have it to is. get to. So thanks, thanks for that, uh, Nathan. Um, was it BVG personality or coaching you disliked? Both. So I didn't support the hire when it was made because I just I I didn't like what he did in the NFL. I, his Auburn defense was the worst defense that program had ever had. You know, he was trying to do NFL stuff there and it just wasn't working. So I, I didn't like the hire. And then you get to know him and you hear and you hear about the way he treats people and the things that he would say. It's like even something little like my wife went to. They used to have this thing. And I don't know if they've had it since COVID, but um, this football one on one thing. You, have you ever heard of that, Sean? Yeah, or did yeah. your wife ever go to that? Yeah. Angela went to that and she loved it, you know, because she loves football and like and like Malika Sayer was still there and like she's like the coaches were great. They would actually teach them. They didn't talk down to him. And then Brian Van Gorder gets up there and he just does this really condescending speech. She's like, we knew he didn't want to be there. She's right. like, I'm a coach's wife. I know what I'm being condescended and talked down to. Right. Like 
and uh, just was real disrespectful and just really inappropriate with certain things. And he just would say really mean, nasty things to players. Like I, one kid told me, he's like, one thing was like, that's why your girlfriend's cheating on you. That's why your mother doesn't love you. Just like ignorant stuff like that. And it's like, that's not MF and a kid about needing to block better. That's just being an a-hole. And, and it's just like, then you realize you stink as a coach. And it's like, if you're going to be that kind of person, and that's never a good idea. Right. Uh, you better at least be good at what you do. You can't be an a-hole and suck. It's like, that's a terrible combination to be. And that's just pretty much how he was. So he began not like him as a coach. And then it built into, he's an arrogant a-hole. And that added to him not being a very good coach. And he treats people like crap. And then you're like, yeah, there's just nothing rede- redeeming about this guy. And he's got a bad, you know, uh, mustache and goatee. And it's sloppy <laughs> too. So, because, you know, it's just I nothing mean, redeeming. with the guy who hired him. You can be an a-hole and people will live with it as long yeah. as you're winning. Right? As long as you're good at what you do. I mean, do That's you think right. Nick Saban's like, you know, just the most lovable guy in the world? Do you think Bill Belichick's just a cheery, wonderful, fun-loving guy to be? No, they're, they're but they win. And you can deal with that when you win. All right. Well, great show tonight. Appreciate everybody being here. Hit the like button if you would on your way out. And, of course, subscribe, rate, and review. And we will talk to you later on Ivy Nation Sports Talk. Thanks, Brian. happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing american families time is short before something big happens and that's why so many folks are preparing they're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from my patriot supply go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com